We're on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. Good morning. The changes are often gradual. One day, a relationship feels solid and loving. The next day, an intimate partner can do nothing right. There can be emotional abuse, financial abuse, mental abuse, long before physical abuse enters a relationship. And abuse can rise around the holidays, with family visits, travel, drinking, and gift-giving ratcheting up stress. This morning, we're listening back to a conversation from October to raise awareness about domestic violence, sometimes called intimate partner violence. Later, we'll hear how the House of Ruth is successfully educating abusers through teaching empathy and seeing a measured drop in repeat offenders. And in our groups, we work with them to learn new behavior skills, examine why they're motivated to be abusive toward their partner, and hopefully move them toward healthier relationship skills and stopping the violence. First, the One Love Foundation is focused on helping young people recognize healthy relationships and avoid dangerous ones. Ojeda Hall is executive director of the Mid-Atlantic region of the One Love Foundation. I asked Hall to tell us how One Love started. It started, as many people know, through the tragic death uh, murder of Yardley Reynolds Love. She was a student at the University of Virginia, and just about three weeks shy of her graduation, she was killed by her ex-boyfriend. And so her family and friends started the One Love Foundation to help prevent what happened to Yardley from happening to other young people and to teach the early warning signs of unhealthy relationships and help students learn how to help their friends. She was at the University of Virginia. She had grown up around Baltimore, right? She's a Baltimore County native. She, I remember uh, talking to people who loved her friendly smile. She was always laughing and very fun, I understand. So yeah, she is a hometown heroine, really. How do young people engage with One Love's programming? First of all, I want people to know that a million to a million, million and a half young people, teenagers in high school, will experience physical abuse by a partner every year. That's really devastating. And so what One Love is doing is mobilizing those young people through their leadership programs in their schools. They can build One Love clubs where they're getting the word out and educating their friends and also increasing awareness about this complex issue of relationship abuse. And then they're also peer educators. So young people are going into their own classrooms or classrooms of their peers or younger students and teaching them the healthy and unhealthy behaviors. And what I really love about One Love is we have content like no other. We've got video content. We've got workshops and discussion guides. We've got activities. And all of that is available on our online education center. You shouldn't miss it. You have to take a look at this center. And and that way, the online education center also allows teachers to get lesson plans for their health classes or even their PE classes or their sports programs, English classes. They can download a lesson plan and grab it and go ahead and teach. Does all the One Love education take place in schools? It does. Well, we have about 190 school partners that we work with at the K to 12 level. And then we work with about 90 
colleges and another 90 community-based organizations. Define relationship abuse. Relationship abuse is really about power and control. And it's efforts that a partner takes to overwhelm, manipulate, control, and really dominate their partner. And as you said earlier, it comes in many forms. It comes in the form of emotional abuse very often, which is where we tend to focus at One Love. And One Love is also looking at the ways that it shows up in digital spaces. Tell me more about what digital abuse is. Digital is anything that's happening in social media. It could be on your Snapchat, your Facebook, your Instagram, your text messages. And uh, we've got an exciting new public service announcement out about those controlling unhealthy behaviors and how they show up, for example, on text messages where someone could be really intense. Intensity is one of our 10 signs. And they might say on your text message, what are you doing? You know, I really care about you. Do you want to hang out after school? I'm really into you. I mean, sort of an overwhelming kind of initiation into a relationship or manipulation where they say um, someone will set a boundary and say, I'm not giving you my password. But they may then come back and say, well, why? What do you have to hide? If you really loved me, you give me your password. So we're really trying to show people who young people, especially who are having their relationships online. They're starting them. They're in them online. They're ending them online. We're really trying to show them how to recognize the signs in the digital space. I I want listeners to hear a a clip, an audio clip from one of the videos. This is titled, Mario. Hello. Hey. Hey. Oh my God, what? You always ignore me. I'm sorry, I was just studying. So, I'm not important to you anymore. Please don't do this again. This? This is why I can't trust you. You are making me do this. Even when they happen on your phone, unhealthy behaviors can still hurt. Learn the signs before things go too far. Visit joinonelove.org. Describe the visual and, and tell us what the main message is here. It's one of my favorite new new videos that One Love has put out. And the visual shows a dark hallway and we're approaching a door. You can see the light even under the door and you hear voices. And as you approach the door, you're hearing an argument. And your assumption naturally is that two people are standing behind the door in an argument. But when you open the door, it's revealed that a young man is on his phone and the argument is taking place via text. And the message really is that abuse happens behind closed doors and it's happening online and in our digital spaces. And even that is abuse and it's emotional abuse. And we want people to come to www.joinonelove.org to learn how to spot those signs and how to get help. And of course, we will link to your site. That's Ojeda Hall, Executive Director of the Mid-Atlantic Region of One Love Foundation here on The Record on WIPR. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about how the nonprofit is targeting online abuse in its latest campaign. On the One Love website, there are lots of resources. One of those is how to recognize 10 signs of emotional abuse. Talk about those. Yes, the One Love website is 
a great resource for young people, for adults, for educators. Uh, we have an online education center that is user-friendly, free, and houses so much information to help young people help each other. The 10 signs is the centerpiece of what we do and of the website. And those signs, many of you have seen them. Some of us have done them. All of us do unhealthy things. They are intensity, possessiveness, betrayal, isolation, manipulation, sabotage, guilting, volatility, belittling, and deflecting responsibility. And as I said, those can happen both online, in a digital space, and also in face-to-face -face interaction. And what guidance do you give about, I mean, as you said, we may all have done something that would fall into one of those categories. I certainly have, Sheila. So how do you sit, how do you advise people how often, how much, when to when to be worried? I think if you see more than 3 of these behaviors, sabotage or manipulation or intensity or volatility, if you're seeing a pattern and it's really about the pattern, the pattern happens over and over again. It happens in certain situations, but three or more, we would say, be concerned and look for ways to get help. And what advice do you have for parents, guardians, friends who might see signs of abuse uh, about what to look for? So I think first, uh, trust your gut. If you see something, you probably want to say something, but here's the thing, you have to say it in a very non-judgmental way, recognizing that the person has to make a decision for themselves. So we always advise, do start the conversation. There's so many missed opportunities that result in tragedy when you could show the person, hey, we see some of the things, unhealthy behaviors in your relationship, for example, how did you feel when they belittled you? Or how did you feel when they put you down for wearing an outfit that you love? Did that affect you? You have to show the signs and the behave and talk about the behaviors and not focus on the person who may feel ashamed, who may feel like they're being blamed. Victims typically can carry a lot of shame and we don't want to be another source of shame for them. And as you said, lots of lots of resources on your website. Thanks, thanks for talking to us. Anytime. Thank you. Ojeda Hall is executive director of the Mid-Atlantic Region of the One Love Foundation. We spoke in October during Domestic Violence Awareness Month. We have links to more information at the On the Record page at WYPR.org. Short break on the record. When we're back, how the House of Ruth is working with abusers to help them reform. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Ahead of the holiday season, when family stress can escalate, we're listening back to a conversation about intimate partner violence. We heard how the One Love Foundation educates high school and college students about how to recognize healthy relationships and how to avoid dangerous ones. 
Lisa Nitz directs training and education at the House of Ruth. One of their programs educates people who have committed abuse to help them reform. When we spoke this fall, I asked Nitz to describe what House of Ruth does. House of Ruth Maryland is Maryland's most comprehensive agency addressing families impacted by domestic violence. Most people think of our emergency shelter when they hear our name, but we also have legal services, counseling services. We have community training and education, case management support. And like you said, we provide programming for those who are abusive as well. So we really work with the entire family. You have two big initiatives right now. One of them is that program that you mentioned, and there's another one that focuses on housing. What's going on with housing? That's right. We're very lucky because of the support from our community. We're now, you know, we've moved beyond just the emergency triage of victims of intimate partner violence, moving away from just getting them separated from their abusive partner and really turning our attention to what works in the long term to healing families and making them safer ongoing. And so in addition to the intervention program, we also have our rapid rehousing model. We know that emergency shelter is not always the best solution for families and sometimes can make it harder on the victim than rather than helping. And so with our rapid rehousing model in partnership with the Mayor's Office of Homeless Services, we're able to provide some emergency assistance when needed. So maybe a, a victim has ongoing income but needs help with first month's rent and a security deposit so that they can be in a home of their own. That's where we know people are going to have their best outcomes. So whenever possible, we're trying to bypass the emergency shelter model and move people into a safe home of their own through the rapid rehousing program. Hmm. Tell me about the Gateway Project. The Gateway Project is a long-term behavior change program. It's educational. It's a group format because that's what's proven to be most effective, where we have people who have been abusive and we separate by gender because women abuse their partners for different reasons than men. And we haven't even been able to face into people who are non-binary, but in same gendered relationships, it's really complicated as well. But we understand that motivations are different. And so we tend to separate people by gender. And in our groups, we work with them to learn new behavior skills, examine why they're motivated to be abusive toward their partner, and hopefully move them toward healthier relationship skills and stopping the violence. In fact, we're really proud that the American Psychological Association just printed a a research article evaluating our model and showing that we are able to reduce violence. Now we're expanding that model and looking at other lethality indicators. What are the other things that make someone more dangerous, more likely to abuse, and most concerning, most likely to kill. So we've got a great partnership with the Family Tree, who's providing parenting support. Shepard Pratt is providing substance abuse and mental health support. And the Mayor's Office of Employment Development is providing ongoing employment support. So we're really providing wraparound services, not only to victims of domestic violence, but now also to those who are causing harm. And do you have some initial insights into what the factors are that that, that trigger it? We do. And in fact, we're really fortunate that we have one of the world's champions on this issue right here in Baltimore City. Jackie Campbell from Johns Hopkins University created an assessment called the Danger Assessment. And that determines lethality in a case. And it is world famous. And so we're so lucky to have Jackie here locally. And she's helped advise this project. So we know I don't want to create excuses for anyone. Unemployment doesn't cause abuse. Substance abuse doesn't cause abuse, but we know somebody who is abusive and unemployed is more dangerous. Somebody who is abusive and has an untreated substance abuse issue, that's somebody who's going to be more lethal. And so that's the data that we're using to drive the model. Can you tell me about someone who's been through the Gateway Project? 
Sure. You know, in the very best cases, we have people come back and share their lives with us. Sometimes they introduce us to new partners. We had a gentleman write a thank you note to us. And part of his wedding shower was to have people donate to the Gateway Project because he wouldn't be in that healthy relationship now if it wasn't for the program. Wow. We're most proud of the people who have completed the program and actually become facilitators. We've hired them in the program so that they're now made a career out of helping other people. And it's so powerful. I've been doing this work for decades, but whatever I say can't be nearly as powerful as somebody who says, you know, I've been through this before. I've been exactly where you are. And it really, it's a game changer for us. I think most of us assume abusers are bad people and they don't really want to reform. Right. And it sounds like the Gateway Project is based on a completely different premise. It's recognizing that abusive people are also hurting. And while some might deny that they need to change or they want to change, some absolutely know they need to. I've had grown men telling me about crying in central booking because they were there for exactly what their dad did to their mom and they swore they'd never do it. But if you don't see a healthy relationship modeled for you, then you're bound to repeat exactly what you did see. And so while some folks might resist having to come to the program, it's a long program. Nobody wants to spend every, you know, come once a week for 90 minutes and hang out with us necessarily. Um, but what we find is that, you know, people want to learn something new. On some level, they know that what's happening for them isn't working for them. The statistics I'm most proud of is that in our exit interviews, when people leave the program who have successfully completed, 99% of those folks say that they feel like they're a better person for having gone through it. And I'm really proud of that. And you also have follow-up statistics that their abuse actually stops in many cases. Yes, we had an evaluation by UMBC and the University of Nebraska who found that pro people who successfully complete the Gateway Project are 40% less likely than those who don't complete to commit not only a domestically related crime, but any violent crime at all. So this is an overall violence reduction strategy about treating people as whole humans and with compassion and engaging them in a change process. How many people does House of Ruth serve each year? We serve seven to 8,000 victims and children impacted by intimate partner violence every year. In addition, we serve about five to 600 people who have been abusive, and then about 5,000 friends and family members who are looking for support and how to take care of help a loved one. Is there programming specifically for children? We do have programming specifically for children. In fact, we do individual therapy with children. We also have groups for children. And, in, and now what we're seeing is that not only does the individual survivor need support and the children need support, but family therapy is so important because quite often the abusive partner will undermine the victim's parenting style, maybe even turn the children against the victim. No matter what, children are angry in these situations. Whether a victim chooses to stay in the relationship or if a victim chooses to leave, children are usually harboring a lot of anger about the situation. And so we want to get involved and heal that whole family system. That's Lisa Nitsch, Director of Training and Education at the House of Ruth. Here on The Record on WYPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about some of the latest work taking place at House of Ruth. Has there been a marked change in the numbers since the pandemic and isolation is waning? <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, we have seen a spike in the need and requests for services. There was a study done here in Baltimore City that demonstrated not only did we see an increase in requests for services, but also the police were seeing an increase in requests for support and for them to come out for domestic cases. We're not seeing people who were not abusive becoming abusive, 
but the abuse that we're seeing is becoming more serious, more lethal, more chronic. I want to be sure I, I'm straight. I'm not I'm not sure I asked the question clearly. This was during the isolation or coming out of isolation? During isolation, we saw the peak. Coming out of isolation, we're still waiting to see those numbers. Um, House of Ruth also works with the mayor's office to offer training to employees. What is that and why are you offering it? House of Ruth, Maryland is partnering with the Mayor's Office of Homeless Services to make sure that everyone that's working in a homeless shelter knows how to recognize when intimate partner violence has been part of a case. Federal law through HUD says that victims of intimate partner violence should get priority housing because they're in very dangerous situations. An unknown for many in the community is that someone who is experiencing abuse in their home, whether it's child abuse, abuse of an elderly person, or intimate partner violence, they get priority when accessing housing services and, and housing needs. And so we want to make sure that all of MOHS's employees know how to recognize intimate partner violence, how to respond to it in a way that is supportive of the victim and not shaming, and connecting them with services like House of Ruth, Maryland, to make sure we can get them into shelter as soon as possible. And what advice do you have for people who may encounter friends or family members they suspect might be experiencing abuse? How can people handle that sensitive topic? Yeah, it's really challenging because people often believe that they're going to have one conversation and convince someone to leave an abusive relationship. I encourage people to realize that leaving an abusive relationship not only isn't easy because it's complicated, the victim cares about the person who's harming them, but also because they're interdependent. It, there's things like childcare to think about, employment, housing, where's your next meal going to come from, friends and family that they have in common. It's very complicated. We know that victims will attempt to leave a relationship five to seven times before they leave for good. So you don't know if this will be the first time, the second time. And unfortunately, by the time victims are in their fifth or sixth attempt to leave, many friends and family aren't taking their calls anymore. Mm. So my advice is to stick with them, believe in them, understand that it's a process. It's not an easy one. Sometimes leaving is the most lethal time in a relationship. And so someone may be choosing to sustain abuse in order to keep themselves alive. Don't embarrass them. Don't make them feel bad about themselves. And connect with House of Ruth, Maryland. You don't have to go it alone. And we can support you as well. Lisa, thanks for all these insights. My pleasure. Thank you. Lisa Nitsch directs training and education at the House of Ruth. The nonprofit provides safe housing to women, children, and families who have experienced abuse. It also offers education to help those who have been abusive reform their relationship skills. The House of Ruth's 24-hour confidential hotline is 410-889-RUTH. That's 410-889-7884. When we spoke in October, House of Ruth was preparing for a donation event. That particular event is over, but Niche described an ongoing need. For example, we go through more pampers than you could ever imagine. Diapers, wipes, uh, feminine hygiene products, toilet paper, toothpaste, all those kinds of things that are very disposable. And, and we want people to have their own item. We don't ask people to share items. Um, and we'd like to, you know, get your own shampoo rather than sharing with another resident. It kind of brings a bit of dignity to the experience. At the other record page, we have a list of the House of Ruth's frequently updated Amazon wish list, along with information about training and volunteer opportunities. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow 